Sex is everywhere. It really is. Companies will use sex to sell products. Turn on the TV, and you're pretty much guaranteed to see at least one commercial that uses the ideas of sex and pleasure to get you to buy something. But selling sex and selling sex are two different things. For starters, commercials using sexual imagery is largely acceptable across the United States. Meanwhile, prostitution is only legal in the state of Nevada. But I'm not here today to talk about sex in, in the United States, and I'm not here to talk about sex work all around the world. Hi, I'm Maddie Harkin, and I'm here to talk about the book Lydia's Open Door, Inside Mexico's Most Modern Brothel by Patty Kelly, published in 2008 for the World Ethnography Project. Let's start by talking about the author of this ethnography, Patty Kelly. She received her PhD from City University New York Graduate Center. She is a professor of anthropology at George Washington University. She spent a year at the Zona Galactica, a state-run brothel in the capital city of Chiapas, Mexico, Tuxla Gutierrez. Dr. Kelly specializes in gender, sexuality, and class in Latin America, which is what got her into doing fieldwork at the Zona Galactica. For her work, she was awarded the Stevens Prize by the American Ethnological Society. She also had an editorial appear in the Los Angeles Times on March 13, 2008, called Legalized Prostitution, Paying for Sex is Common. Mexico has decriminalized it, so should the U.S. Now, some of you might be like, wow, a book about sex work in Mexico? That's so interesting. Tell me more. And others might be so scandalized you've already started praying for my soul. So the big question is, what drew me to this particular ethnography? I absolutely love reading and talking about gender. So when I was looking through the possibilities for my ethnography, I wanted to re read one about gender or I was looking for one about sexuality. I also think sex work is very interesting because contrary to popular belief, there are women who enjoy it and find it empowering. That being said, not all sex workers are women and not all women who are sex workers like what they do. So I wanted to read this particular book because it combines ideas of gender and society with sex work and the experiences of sex workers. All right, so let's get into what this book was about. Chapter one describes the recent history of Tuxla Gutierrez. It discusses how the city fits in with neoliberalism and how the creation of Zona Galactica is an attempt by the state to remove the evidence of neoliberalism's failures. Tuxla is characterized by how modern it is. Unlike other cities in Mexico, it does not reflect its colonial past. The population surged during the 1970s and continued to grow rapidly in the 80s and 90s. Consumer cultural culture thrives in Tuxla because of neoliberalism and the western wealthier part of town is full of American businesses, so much so that migrants from places like Guatemala thought they had made it to America when they were still 100 miles from the border. American businesses have made some adjustments to the culture, though. For instance, the classic no shirt, no shoes, no service doesn't apply. The McDonald's menu includes a McMexicanas, a burger with avocado and salsa, and the KFC mascot changed from Colonel Sanders to a cartoon chicken. Alright, so moving on to the zone. The zone is open from 9 in the morning to 9 at night. There are two clubs outside of the main gate that are only open at night. The hours of the zone are meant to make the business seem more respectable. 
Many women will work only in the day because keeping regular business hours gives them a sense that they are operating within cultural norms. In order to enter the zone, a client must purchase a ticket, be reasonably sober, and not have any weapons. Workers have weekly gynecological examinations at the Anti-Venereal Medical Service building on site. There's another administration building with jail cells for clients and workers, and it also has a room for adult education classes. The zone is a safe place for people to challenge hegemonic norms of gender and sexuality. So most of the food vendors in the zone are gay men who can express themselves without fear while in the zone. The purpose of the zone isn't money as it isn't very profitable, but rather social hygiene and control of the poor and deviant. Initially, the government tried to make sex safer by providing clients with condoms, but clients weren't given instructions, nor were they incentivized to use them, so they rarely did. The government also wanted to completely regulate and control prostitution, but unregulated sexual commerce continued throughout the city, so they had to just focus on making it less visible. Chapter 2 discusses the efforts of the state to contain and control illegal prostitution taking place outside of the galactic zone. Patty Kelly describes a raid done by the public health department and municipal police that she observed. She makes sure to say that she does not agree with their rounding up of sex workers. The raids are supposed to be just for sex workers, but they often grab women who are just going out for the evening or simply waiting for a bus. She talks about how women know their rights, but they aren't organized because of the stigma surrounding prostitution. People who engage in sex work informally aren't going to join a social movement about sex workers' rights. On page 61 to 62, she says, Through the raids, power is expressed in multiple ways. There is the pure physical force of the male police and health inspectors who chase down and restrain suspected sex workers. There is the institutional power of the state and the law that allows and encourages the legal punishment of informal workers. And there are more subtle forms of power cultural beliefs and practices that both create and condemn prostitutes, defining the unregulated prostitute as a threat to public health and social order, the power of knowledge that comes with filming, and collecting personal information about detained workers, transforming them from anonymous and clandestine to known and visible. The raids on clandestine prostitutes and the control of prostitution in general are expressions of power that reinforce already existing inequalities of gender and class. It is working women who are subject to arrest, not their male pimps or their male clients. The raids are a reflection of the moral double standard that punishes poor women, but not the men, who, either as pimps or clients, profit from or pay for their labor. Though officials claim and even believe that the rounding up of suspected unregistered sex workers is a means of controlling prostitution and securing public health, it is more a carnivalesque display of power. It is a way to harass poor women and men through detention and the gathering of information, and to create the illusion of the control of visible prostitution by the state more than it is an effective means of protecting the health of Texlacos. The raids reinforce gender, sexual, and class inequality. Chapter 3 describes how there are many requirements for sex workers in the zone, but none for their clients. There are some benefits to the job. Workers are able to set their own hours and prices. They choose what services they offer and what clients they take. They have the freedom to say no. Although the workers are regulated by the state, they do not get the benefits of being a state employee, like health benefits and pensions. 
1996, the workers of the zone went on strike. As I mentioned before, clients were handed condoms and would often throw them out. One of the workers' demands was that they receive condoms directly, which then empowered them to better enforce condom use. Chapter 4 talks about landholders and attempts to reclaim the land that Galactica is now on. It also talks about tensions between sex workers inside the zone and those outside. The ones inside see what they do as perfectly legal, and the work of outsiders is illegal, so they have no problem with the unregulated prostitutes being arrested. However, they do relate to them in the sense that they are women, so they do have problems with how the police treat women during the raids. A passage I found to be extremely important occurred in chapter 4 on page 114. Appealing to the citizenry who could be expected to, and often did, complain about public prostitution, city officials claimed that the existence of a regulated tolerance zone decreased not only prostitution, but also crime and rape in the city center. Some sex workers themselves felt they were providing a public service by assisting with rape prevention, thus finding a larger purpose and value in their work. This notion of prostitution as a social service is not unique. Both Liz Bondi and Alexa Albert in their studies of Scotland and the United States, respectively, found a similar discourse among the public and sex workers. In the Galactica, one sex worker spoke of clients who wanted to enact their rape fantasies with the workers, asking the women to leave their undergarments on during intercourse. It is often believed that if such clients had no opportunity to act out their fantasies with a prostitute, they might actually rape respectable, non-prostitute women. This discourse surrounding rape illustrates a widespread cultural belief that men need sex and that some men may be prone to rape if their needs go unmet. Furthermore, the discourse divides women into two camps, those who should be protected from rape, respectable, middle, and upper-class women, and those who work to protect them, prostitutes and poor women, who by virtue of their class are sexually suspect and not beholden to or capable of the same moral norms as middle and upper-class women. Anxiety about rape also has a strong class component. Most, but not all, zone clients tend to come from the laboring classes. In the regulated zone, it is not the sexuality of Texel's upper classes that is being controlled, but rather the sexuality of the working poor, which is deemed more dangerous and perhaps even violent. Struggles over sexuality are frequently not simply struggles over sexuality, but are also, as in Texel, struggles over class and expressions of economic power and powerlessness. These discourses about rape and prostitution justify controlling and enclosing the sexuality of poor men acting out natural desires and poor loose women in a tolerance zone. Of course, the entire notion that consensual intercourse with a prostitute is a substitute for rape is simply wrong. One does not replace the other. Rape is less about sex than it is an expression of power and gender inequality. Susan Brown Miller wrote in her groundbreaking book, Against Our Will, Rape is not a crime of a rational, impulsive, uncontrollable lust, but is a deliberate, hostile, violent act of degradation and possession. Access to a consenting partner does not stop rape, and men who rape come from all economic classes. Furthermore, many of the clients do have access to sexual partners, their wives. This book is centered around ideas of gender, sex, class, and power, and I just feel like this passage just covers all of those throughout it. The fifth chapter tells the stories of women who entered the sex industry and the circumstances surrounding their decision. The biggest takeaway I had was that women enter prostitution in a variety of ways and for a variety of reasons. Once they are involved in sex work, 
Factors like citizenship and marital status influence their work patterns, consumption habits, and their reputation. Another major takeaway is that sex work is not entirely oppressive, but it's also not entirely liberating. It is always being shaped and reshaped by historical circumstances and cultural practices. Chapter 6 discusses the realities of sex work. There are many people that think of prostitution as the easy life, but it is a lot harder than people think. In the new global economy, gendered household activities like cleaning, cooking, childcare, and sex have become more and more like commodities. Sex workers are service workers. Prostitutes have to be arbitrators, they need to get cash from clients, teach their clients about using condoms, and they have to deal with verbal and physical abuse. Chapter 7 touches on families of sex workers and how they don't always know where the money is coming from. Or if they do, they might be supportive or they might not. It talks about the dominating ideas of gender and sexuality and how the zone is a place free from those norms. It emphasizes points made in previous chapters, like how women challenge moral norms by trading sexual services directly for cash, and that gay male food vendors in the zone are able to express their sexuality. Even though it is somewhat of a safe zone, there are many restrictions and sex workers are still stigmatized even though what they are doing is legal. The stigma surrounding them is a large reason why workers don't demand rights and the monetary compensation they deserve. Chapter 8 wraps up Kelly's final thoughts by going over some of her main points about understanding prostitution and then what she thinks the future of sex work should be as well as how to get there. The epilogue that follows gives an update on some of the lives of the women she featured in the ethnography. I really enjoyed this ethnography because I am passionate about gender and power dynamics. I thought it was written extremely well and I felt engaged for the majority of the book. There were a few points, mainly in the beginning, that I thought were a little more boring because they talked about the history of politics and the economy. Some of the information was interesting, but I find writing about the economy tends to be a bit dry and it's hard for me to get through. The way she portrayed the woman in the ethnography was wonderful because it was very honest. She didn't try to turn them into heroes, and she didn't try to turn them into villains. She wrote their stories as they were. Okay, so I hope you were able to learn a bit more about the sex work industry and how it relates to gender, sexuality, class, and power. If you are interested in reading Lydia's Open Door, Inside Mexico's Most Modern Brothel by Patty Kelly, it is available for purchase on Amazon. Thanks for listening. Bye!